want to have a conversation that is basically the leaping off point is the whole controversy that has been surrounding Hockey Canada. As you know, there was a sexual assault claim. Uh, it ended up getting getting settled and a non-disclosure agreement for the alleged victim was signed, which meant that she couldn't come out and talk about it any further. That happens in an awful lot of cases. Some people say, well, you know, okay, we're going to, we're going to come into a deal, we'll come into a, a financial settlement, but the, the, the deal is you can't talk about it. Is that fair if both sides agree to that, or is that not fair? Yeah, have you ever signed an NDA, or can you even admit that? Because of (laughs) what you have signed. Uh, There are studies that suggest that one in three American workers have signed some form of NDA. Uh, In Canada, uh, it shows that about 26% have signed an NDA, uh, basically uh, agreeing to not speak out about workplace harassment and discrimination. That said, is that data even accurate? Can they even, you know, Mm. fully disclose that they have signed an NDA? Those numbers might be much higher. And is it fair? We're going to get into that right now with our next guest. She's a distinguished professor emerita at University of Windsor, Windsor and co-founder of Can't Buy My Silence campaign to ban NDAs. Dr. Julie McFarlane is joining us. Dr. McFarlane, thank you so much for making time to be on the show. Happy to talk to you. So, Dr. Farland, when when we're talking about the, the campaign to ban NDAs, are you talking about banning them specifically when they have to do with workplace harassment, discrimination, sexual assaults, allegations, or are you coming at this from a place of wanting to ban them entirely across the board? Well, I think it's important to understand, as people increasingly are, that NDAs were originally created, invented, if you like, to protect intellectual property, you know, trade secrets. And they actually came out of the tech boom because obviously there were a lot of companies developing platforms and softwares that were in extremely important and valuable commercial information. So the idea was that if you signed an NDA, you could never, because these are indefinite, they are for life, which is what, what made them different in the 1980s. You could never give that information to anyone else. But the campaign isn't trying to ban NDAs for intellectual property. In fact, what we're trying to do is to take them back to their original purpose, Chelsea. Because what's happened since is that we've seen them increasingly used in now virtually every form of settlement that takes place. So as I'm sure your listeners understand, most lawsuits and also most complaints at work tend to get resolved in some kind of a settlement. And when that is a lawsuit, People will sign something saying, yes, I promise not to continue my lawsuit, which, of course, it makes complete sense. What's being added into those clauses now is an additional commitment not to speak about the experience, not to um, name any of the people involved in the experience, and to say that you won't even, in some cases, um, share that kind of information with family or friends or therapists. But if, if that's a deal that's made on both sides, and I, I'm just trying to, to wrap my head around if there are other circumstances or whether it can be sort of a, a blanket, we don't think this should happen. Uh, in some, because it would be continued to be potentially litigated in the public view. So if you, if you come up with a settlement deal, it's supposed to end, but it could, if you don't have an NDA, perpetuate in a public venue for a long period of time and continue to do damage to an organization or individual. You know where I'm coming from? Are there parameters where uh, it's difficult? Yeah. It's tough. Well, it's, 
it's really interesting that you put it like that because in fact if you think about this logically which you just have it's a complete bluff because the side that wants the NDA to be signed is the same side that doesn't want this in the public domain, right? Yes. For example, Hockey Canada didn't want it litigated in the public eye. And so what we often find is that when people push back and say, um, no, I'm not signing your NDA, but I will settle the case, which means it won't go into that public forum, um, that actually is, is being acceptable. But the NDA is a way to try to keep people silent forever. And what the campaign argues is that not only does this in many ways um, re-traumatize and make, make you know, what people have experienced even worse because now they can't speak about it with anybody uh, and they can't try to figure it out you know, within their own personal lives, but this also means that whoever did this can just go on and do it again because everything is cleaned up, if you see what I mean. The personnel records are cleaned up. Um, any kind of trace of the complaint is cleaned up. The, uh, the lawsuit just gets buried and dismissed. And so we are saying that this is not only harmful to the people who sign these agreements, which we hear from them every single day telling us that they are, but it's also harmful to the public at large because they don't know who this person is who has been sexually harassing or, or, or being you know, discriminatory towards somebody and they, or even sexually assaulting and raping them, and they are therefore able to just go on and continue that behavior. Hmm. Yeah, and I guess I see, you know, to kind of to further Daryl's point too, I see, you know, just to kind of play devil's advocate, but if that person has been found to be not guilty or innocent, then is it fair to to not have an NDA and then allow that person to be essentially tried in the court of public opinion? Right. Right, right. Well, and that's also a very good question, Chelsea. But here's the thing, and I mean, this is what we seem to have forgotten in this use of NDAs, is that we have a law already, um, defamation law, which protects people against things that are said against mm. them that are untrue. Mm -hmm. So if somebody were to go out and say, so-and-so raped me when they've actually been shown not to have done that, then they can be sued for defamation. And that has always been there as a protection. Uh, and I think that the problem with NDAs that people don't necessarily understand is that the people who sign them as the victims are people who are, and I hear from them and talk to them every single day, always the less powerful party. They usually have much less effective legal support. Sometimes they have none at all. Mm -hmm. And they are often being coerced and intimidated into signing these agreements, which they honestly do not understand. I mean, you can imagine, I'm sure, this is written in a lot of legal language. It's at the bottom of a 20-page agreement, and, you know, frequently people don't even, you know, read that whole agreement because they just want to get out of there. And, you know, we're not talking about people who want to go to the media. We're just talking about people who want closure here, right? right? right. Who want it over. Uh, and so that is another dimension of this, that they're actually... These agreements are being made with people who don't fully understand them and who regret them later yeah. and find that they signed something they didn't fully understand. Uh, talking this morning with Dr. Julia McFarland, who is co-founder of the Can't Buy My Silence campaign to, to ban NDAs. Not all, all across the board, not the intellectual property ones, just specific ones. Can you, right. can you help uh, try to wrap our heads around the mechanism to achieve what you want. Is it a federal government edict? Does it go through the courts? How would that would such a ban work? And how would you figure out you know what it applies to? So why don't we start with the mechanism first? Well, we are proposing legislation, and in fact, you might remember 
that has already been um, legislation passed in Prince Edward Island. That was um, came into force earlier this year. And the same legislation, the same new law has now been introduced in Manitoba and in Nova Scotia because it's provincial um, legislation that most affects regular working people. I mean, that's what most 90% of the, the rules are regarding our working relationships. We are also talking to the federal government since the Hockey Canada scandal. Um, but, that, you know, there are employees, of course, who work for the federal government, and they have also been NDA'd. We have lots of examples of that. But most of our work is, is in the provinces, and it's to try to enact a law that would basically say you can only have an NDA enforced if it meets a number of conditions. And, and some of those flow very naturally from what I've already explained. So somebody has to fully understand what they're signing, they have to have independent legal advice. Um, but also, this has to be something that doesn't affect another third party. And as I've explained, in most of these cases, because we know from lots of research that people who um, do this kind of misconduct, especially in the workplace, tend to, be, tend to be very small numbers of people who do it over and over and over again, unfortunately. And so the other condition that would be placed in this new law would be that the NDA mustn't potentially harm a third party, which, of course, all of these pretty much do. Dr. McFarland, you make a, a really good point in your article for The Star. And you say, when an organization demands silence in return for making a financial settlement, they're not acting to right or wrong, but to cover up their own malfeasance. And shoving right. this under the rug makes it harder to address the, the systemic problems that led to the abuse, which, you know, is something I think we all think about when we think about the Hockey Canada scandal. Yeah, Thank you exactly. so much for, for your work on this and uh, and for being with us on the show this morning. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And anyone in Alberta who's signed an NDA and has more questions, go to can'tbuymysilence.com. Lots of information for people there. Thank you very much. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.